It's your Tuesday daily delivery. I am Michael Rand. Glad to be back for another day. Hope you guys are doing well out there. Um, big show coming up. Good one. A lot of Vikings talk here in just a little bit with Andrew Kramer. Break down the film of that loss to the Bengals. That one looms large, guys. That one's a you know a chance for the Vikings to kind of take control of the wild card race. Feel good about themselves. They're up two touchdowns in the fourth quarter. They lose that game. Couple that with Seattle scoring an upset of the Eagles on Monday Night Football. Seattle seven and seven, whole bunch of seven and seven teams. Basically, the Vikings are at a coin flip right now to make the playoffs. Will be uh, really coming down to these last three games. Obviously, if they win two of them, I think they're pretty much in. Um, but that involves beating Detroit at least once and beating Green Bay on uh, on New Year's Eve in uh, in Minneapolis. That one will probably be the biggest of them all. The winner of that game, a much better chance to make it. The loser of that game, a much harder chance to make it. But we'll get into some of that. We'll get into how they got there with Andrew and also with Vikings Poetry here in a little bit. Got a wild thought towards the end of the show. Not a wild thought, but a, a thought about the wild at the end of the show. And... um a look at uh, an emerging uh, an emerging thing, an emerging suitor in the uh, Bally Sports North Diamond Sports discussion that, uh, that that piqued my interest when I saw a report in the Wall Street Journal uh, yesterday. So get to that here in a minute. First, though, what I missed, let's start with the Wolves. The, less, the, the, the next in the what was the best win of the season candidates um came monday night down 17 i think at one point in miami the heat um pretty much at full strength no kyle lowry but they've got bam Adebayo, they've got tyler hero they've got all their bench players all their tough guys and of course they've got jimmy butler um general soreness suited up for this game and was able to play for Miami. So the Wolves go down big. It's kind of been their MO lately. They've been falling behind in some of these games and then frantically trying to rally. Um, not a great way to do it, but nice to know you can do that. Nice to know they are the kind of team now that can do that, that can fall behind even to good teams, just like they did against Dallas. They night down like 17-2 early against Dallas, come back to win that game. They did it again against Miami. Come back to win 112-108, a great fourth quarter. It was, it was one of the better regular season games you are going to see. Just a lot of you know made shots, a lot of tough shots, a lot of good possessions. Both teams kind of showing the best of the NBA in this game. And the Wolves come out on top. They just out-execute, make those what Chris Finch called winning plays in the end, a huge offensive rebound by Carl Anthony Towns that set up a Rudy Gobert dunk, um, a big you know, 12, 13-footer off the glass by Anthony Edwards, um, big defensive stops, clutch free throws, everything they needed to do in the final you know, four to five minutes and even you know, the final 16 minutes of this game to get back into it after falling behind. They do it. Now, again, it was one of those games, and I've talked about this three or four times this year, where you're saying, okay... Is this where you know? Is this where they face some real adversity? They start to you know they lose a game. They they can't kind of get back out from underneath what you know, whatever hole they've dug or whatever off court adversity they're dealing with. Whether it's injuries, whether it's in this case you know look at what you know what was transpiring with Anthony Edwards in the last twenty four hours with you know what was going on there with his personal life. When you think about all of that, 
you looked at this game and you're like, oh, yep, here you go. Here's here's the Wolves. Here's here's a here's a place where they're going to slip up. Not that they're not good anymore, but hey, here is a slip up game. It was easy to it was easy to see it coming. Here it is. And instead, they rally again. They win again. They've had a lot of these best win of the year games already. Even even 25 games into the year. Now they have 20 wins, so there's a lot, there's a, a lot of wins to choose from. Even in just 25 games, when you've won 20, but you think back to the Denver game earlier in the year where they're they're, they're one and two coming back home to play the defending champs. They route Denver, kind of gets them going. They beat Boston not too long after that at home. Another great regular season game, an overtime game that they gutted out that they won. Um, you know, they've had good wins over Oklahoma City along the way, big road wins over, you know, Dallas. This one, though, felt this one felt a little different. This one felt like, you know, I don't know if I'd put it in best win of the season category yet. I'd say the Boston game might still be that win. Maybe the Denver game just from how smooth it was, but this game showed a certain level of mental toughness from this team that they have continued to show throughout the year. A combination of mental toughness and, you know, that the ability to execute when it matters most. That is what they lacked so much last season. Again, we're, we're probably going to have to get to the point where we stop making comparisons to last season because this is clearly, even with a lot of the same players, this is clearly a different team than the one we saw last year. So I put this one into one of the best and we keep adding to that list of one of the best of the regular season they got a whole bunch of tough ones still coming up in the next few weeks but three and one so far in this you know in this stretch that was supposed to test them and you know what this stretch will test opponents too this stretch will be like hey the wolves are coming to town and we got to go play the wolves best record one of the best records tied for the best record in the nba wherever they are in that moment right now that's where they are um, that will be a test for everybody else, not just the Timberwolves. Now, speaking of the Wolves, kind of tangentially, a report in the Wall Street Journal on Monday that uh, Bally Sports, Diamond Sports, the parent company of, of Bally Sports, um, in discussions with Amazon, uh, Amazon talking about investing in Diamond Sports. Um, they're trying to add sports content, trying to you know beef up their streaming packages, trying to compete with Netflix, trying to compete with Disney Plus, places like that. Um, you know, obviously Diamond has games in you know MLB and NBA, NHL over forty different teams. They still have the rights to now. They don't have the rights to the Twins right now. The Twins are in negotiations to see what they're going to do next year, but they still do have the rights at least this year to the Wolves and to the Wild. Um, a story in the Wall Street Journal says if an agreement is reached, and Diamond, it sounds like Amazon is is they're in this partnership uh, discussion about a strategic investment. Reading straight from the story, a strategic investment and a multi-year streaming partnership. And if an agreement is reached, Amazon Prime Video would eventually become the streaming home for Diamond Games. Now that's interesting to me. You throw some of Amazon's money behind this. You throw some of their you know some of their influence behind it. I've always found the Amazon streaming platform to be pretty good, much better than the Bally's platform streaming service. Something that's already known a known commodity, not something completely different. This has my attention. Obviously, it's still a negotiation. Sounds like creditors aren't quite sure where it's going, but some creditors like the idea of this. Of course, Diamond in bankruptcy proceedings right now. They have been for several months. Kind of nearing a tipping point in this. It's got to go one way or the other very soon. Baseball, Major League Baseball pressuring the courts to say, hey, is Diamond going to carry these games in 2024 or not? 
Diamond kind of trying to throw a, a last-ditch attempt to, to avoid liquidation, to, to stay afloat, to, to, to stay a, a company, to, to, keep, to keep showing these games, to, to retain these rights. Amazon seems like a decent lifeline for them, so I'm watching this one. I want to see how fast this materializes and what becomes of this, because this, this wouldn't necessarily be the worst thing in the world, right? If they can figure out their streaming, if they can get something together... I don't know how many teams would be involved in this. I don't know if the twins would then say, "Hey, well, they're going, they're they're partnering with Amazon. Maybe we want to be a part of this." Or if MLB still wants to have all these rights, I don't know where this is going exactly. But this kind of late development is a new wrinkle that makes me think, okay, maybe this thing isn't quite as cut and dried as we thought it was. Maybe we need to pay attention to this and see if Amazon does indeed get involved with Diamond Sports and eventually carry you know, carry the streaming rights to some of these games that we want to watch locally. Grand Casino would like to take a moment and salute the true football fan. The passion. The hope. The anticipation. That incomparable feeling of winning. Grand Casino would also like to take a moment to remind you that you can find all that anticipation, thrill, and winning at Grand Casino. Grand Casino. Let your story begin. Let's review the film of Saturday's 27-24 Vikings loss to the Bengals. Whether you like it or not, whether Andrew Kramer likes it or not, we're going to do it because um, there's a lot to see there, Andrew, wasn't there? <laughs> there was. There really was. Looking back at Jake Browning, former Vikings practice champion, undrafted quarterback, um, I, I now saw, saw some stat that he's the first quarterback ever with over a thousand yards and like 75% completion in his first four starts with a team. The Bengals have won three straight third straight uh, coming against the Vikings. And it was a lot of it because of Browning. You go back and watch that game. He was throwing dimes. There was a, an initial one to Jamar chase on a, on a play that set up that early field goal attempt uh, by the Bengals that gave him a three, uh, three nothing lead or seven three deficit. I can't remember at the time, but I guess it would have been three nothing lead. Yeah. Um, but just an absolute dime where Brian Flores, aggressive, all out blitz, sends seven, and Jake Browning from his back foot lobs this pass to Jamar Chase that Caleb Evans cannot get to and track down. And I think a lot of times in that game, you saw open Bengals receivers running down the field, or you saw, you know, maybe just one Viking defender nearby and it's a lot different from what we were used to seeing under Mike Zimmer when those defenses were kind of predicated on having multiple guys on every deep ball. Brian Flores is so aggressive and they blitz so much. They're sometimes leaving those guys open on purpose, thinking the quarterback's not going to have time to throw it. Let's not waste our resources there. Um, there were some of those moments where, where Jake Browning, I think, caught the Vikings off guard with some deep attempts. I think of the third and 15 shot to Charlie Jones where uh, they they missed it. It was a deep ball yep. down the middle of the field, and it should have been a big play, but uh, that eventually backed the Vikings off. So I, I don't think the Vikings were expecting, and, and and the Vikings know Jake Browning. They practiced against him. A lot of these players did um, for his two years here, and I don't think they were expecting him to come out and throw the ball all over the yard like he was doing. It, it was pretty impressive. They never should have cut him, according to Jake Browning. <laughs> he was fueled by it. You could tell. Was, yeah. And, uh, going thinking back to it, I I had to think again. Like, why did they let him go? How did that all happen? And for those who would like to remember the Rick Spielman era, he uh, took Sean Mannion from the Seahawks. Sean Mannion got cut by the Seahawks and said, "You know what, Sean, you're going to be our our backup on the practice squad instead of Jake Browning uh, after that 2021 training camp." Yes, and they were still 
wanting i mean that was they still had kellen mond at that point and they wanted yeah. that, if they were going to have a developmental quarterback that's who it was right yes and they needed to keep kellen mond on the 53 because they didn't want to expose him to waivers as a third round rookie and they only wanted to keep two on the 53 as was their standard and so they told jake we we're going to keep you on the practice squad and what happened was they looked around the league as they cut jake the seahawks cut Mannion, and they decided to take Mannion over and remember Mannion is close with Kirk Cousins. Yep. They've worked together a lot. I wouldn't be shocked if Kirk had advocated for this move behind the scenes, but I actually have no idea. He might have advocated for Browning, for all I know. Um, but this was a reunion with Mannion and Kirk that meant a lot in the quarterback room for the, the veteran knowledge and all that. And Browning was a young guy, as you mentioned, Mike, who as a developmental option maybe wasn't as appealing to them at the time. So they went with the veteran. Um, yeah. In, in Mannion, and boy, was looking back, it didn't seem like a great decision. I don't think Sean Mannion would have beaten the Vikings had the full, the roles <laughs> been reversed uh, in that game. But, you know, it, um, a lot of it was Browning, you're right. But so it was surprising just because they had held them in check. I mean, the Bengals only had three points through the first three quarters. It was 17 to three. And with the way Brian Flores' defenses have been playing lately, you thought that was a pretty safe lead. Um, what what, you know, did they crack the code on it or what 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 do we know about you know how that you know what what that foretells for these next three important games well i think what happened was you saw incredible receivers make incredible plays and and i talk about browning making some of these great throws one of them was to t higgins for the 21 yard touchdown where the famous one where t is is extending over the pylon uh jake was getting hit and throwing off his back foot and a Caleb Evans mistimed a jump and loses out. And a Caleb is big enough where he can make that play and at least deflect that pass. And he didn't. And I think when we see this Vikings defense play poorly in moments, it's generally their secondary getting exposed. And I thought their secondary had kind of a rough game, not just in those coverage moments, but they had some key missed tackles as well that led to some of the screens that the Bengals like to run um, that allowed them to extend some of these drives. Keep in mind, Cincinnati ended this game with like three straight touchdown drives of like 10 plays and 75 yards. Like this was not just a big play central. This was uh, marching methodically down the field. And a lot of it was getting the ball out to the perimeter and making the secondary make tackles. And there were moments that a Caleb Evans, Cam Bynum, um, uh, Byron Murphy as well, guys who have missed some tackles this season and have been exposed in games like the Chargers or Philadelphia. Um, that is when we've seen this defense kind of uh, crumble. And it's it's been against quarterbacks who are unafraid to give their star wide receivers chances. Um, or at least just get the ball out quickly and efficiently like Jake Browning did. So I don't know if it's so much as crack the code as much as this Viking scheme has been so predicated on covering up the coverage of we're going to be so aggressive, you're not going to have time to expose our cornerbacks who are not the best in man-to-man or single coverage. And this time, Browning was able to expose them even though he was getting blitzed pretty frequently. You know, the 3 nothing win over Vegas notwithstanding, and of course Vegas went out and put 63 on the Chargers the game after that. They got uh, Brandon Staley officially fired, although I think that was going to come no matter what. Um, but, you know, these last of these last four games, three of them have ended essentially when the defense couldn't quite lock down a win. Is there something about those late-game situations and kind of the way you're talking about this where – you know, when a team does decide they're just going to throw or they're, they're kind of more in pass mode that 
that the Vikings can get exposed in there. Thinking about the Bears getting a field goal, thinking about you know Denver going, coming back and getting that touchdown at the end, things like that. Yeah, and it's actually happened in different fashions too because the Bears one, I remember being in the stadium thinking, well, Brian Flores, the Vikings really backed off. Like, wow, they're not trying to bring the pressure here. They're kind of just going to sit back. Um, and then this game, the Cincinnati, they kind of did the opposite where in some of those later moments, they were bringing the heat and just saying, you know what, we'll live with you throwing up a prayer and seeing if it can get answered. And T Higgins made some great plays. Tyler Boyd made an excellent catch on the 40 yarder in overtime, uh, where Byron Murphy told me after the game, he said, I got my hands on that pass, uh, as I was trying to swat it down and Boyd just kind of snatched it and kept running. So, so many of these plays were just very, very, you know, thin margins, but you're seeing coaches like Flores adjust his approach. He didn't just sit back this time. He, he was aggressive in those moments and they still lost. Um, I think a big part of it is you're you're seeing a defense that, again, it's personnel, whether just the corners or the individual pass rushers who might not be the quickest to win one-on-one. Um, these are not full of blue-chip defenders. This is a good defense. It's it's greater than the, the kind of sum of its parts. Um, and I think it's going to be fascinating to see if Flores stays here for another year or two, how they can continue to grow and develop these pieces and add more to, to get more of that talent. Cause the Bengals, I think might just be a more talented roster, even though the Vikings outplayed Cincinnati for much of that game. Defense had its chances to win the game. Um, offense had its chances to widen the lead, certainly in the first half, but turnovers again, got in the way. And then, you know, when they do get, the score to go back ahead, uh, 24-17. The defense can't hold that one either, but the defense does get a stop in overtime. Vikings are driving, get it into Bengals territory. We'll set, we're setting the scene, of course, for third and one, fourth and one. The tush push, Andrew. Brandon Powell pushing Nick Mullins, who has a career average of... Maybe, maybe Kevin O'Connell looked at Nick Mullins' career rushing average of 6.3 inches and said, you know what, um, 40 carries for seven yards in his career, did the quick math, that's about 6.3 inches per carry. We only need four or five inches here on fourth down. Let's just try this thing again. Is that what happened? or what? What's the, Explain to me the logic of Brandon Powell pushing an, a small immobile quarterback into a center who, who always gets pushed around. I don't think it was overthinking with with Mullen's career average, though I'm it was clearly overthinking on some front. Um yeah, to do that on back to back plays, I, I understand going into it, you had converted a couple quarterback sneaks earlier in the game. I think Mullins had one on second and one. He had one on third and one. So it's not like you didn't have evidence that you know we couldn't do this. Um, but after failing on third down, to go back to the exact same thing when you had earlier in the game converted a fake tush push with CJ yeah. Ham being the one who was in position to kind of mock, you know, the push. And then they fake the handoff, toss it to try Ty Chandler in the flat. And then they get like 16 yards to set up the one yard touchdown run later in the, in that series. And so you did that. You have evidence. We can fake it and do it. You've also got a ton of evidence that Ty Chandler is shredding yes shredding yes. this defense for 130 yards on the ground in his first start. Um, Kevin O'Connell said after the game, not only was he unhappy with the spot, 
on third down. Um, he felt like they had gained the first down on the initial quarterback sneak. But then he said that I didn't want to risk Nick even turning his back to the defense, handing off and extending the life of a play like that. So his confidence clearly in their short yardage game was still not great when it comes to handing the ball off. And to his credit, throughout the year, they've been very bad as a power rushing team, but not that day. They were not bad running the ball that day. And I felt like that was a moment. It's really easy to second guess, but uh, even me, I sometimes try to be a little reticent to be knee jerk and second guess. Uh, I was scratching my head saying, why are, why are we watching Brandon Powell for a second time doing this? When we saw then later on, after all the numbers came out of how often everybody played, Brandon Powell was on the field for two snaps the entire game, and that was it. Uh, it was just kind of absurd. Imagine your whole activity for a Sunday is just pushing a quarterback forward. That's, that's the <laughs> the sole reason you were on the field is uh, is is just to push a quarterback forward. But yeah, you know, Brandon Powell is like I'm sure he's strong, but he's like 180 pounds. Nick Mullins is not a very big quarterback. He's like six one one ninety. I mean, that's you know a good sized human being, but that's not super big for a quarterback. He's certainly not a mobile quarterback. Like we said, Garrett Bradbury um, has had his moments. He does some things well, but like the the surge forward is not really Garrett Bradbury's strength, especially in a situation where the defense is, you know, bunched up, even if they don't have their quote unquote goal line defense. And even if O'Connell is like trying to outthink them and, and keep, keep them out of their goal line package by not subbing and keeping Powell out there, like just didn't really make sense. You just don't have the, you don't, if they don't have the right personnel to stop it, you don't have the right personnel to run it. And I think coaches are overthinking this in general because this whole method of the quarterback sneak wasn't even a thing a couple of years ago. Right. And now all of a sudden, all these teams are trying to copy Philadelphia when the quarterback sneak statistically has been a very successful yes. play for a long time well before this. And you can tell defenses are bracing. It's probably why the fake worked to, to Ty Chandler. Defenses are bracing every time you get somebody behind the quarterback ready to push. That's now just even more of a tell that you are not going to turn around and hand the ball off to the running back. It's just going to be the quarterback pushing forward. And I think Bradbury, Mullins, and Powell, that trio is the least, got to be the least powerful trio to try that play in the NFL because, as you said, I don't think anybody would apply that word power to uh, any of those three no you wouldn't and you know only by the gifts of the nfc are they even still in a good playoff position i mean the packers losing on sunday helps them um even one more win especially if it's over the packers might get them in at eight and nine almost certainly two if they win these next two home games against detroit and green bay they're almost a lock to get in so it's not all it's not like all hope is lost but they had to they had to leave that game feeling like man we had a chance to get into the driver's seat to really feel good about ourselves. We let one get away. Yeah, players were saying afterward that this felt like a playoff game. It felt like they were playing a playoff caliber roster and team in Cincinnati and just kind of the fight that both teams were showing. Um, there were a lot of kind of just mini scuffles, too. I saw Ivan Pace and Joe Mixon like getting after it during the game and then after the game as well. I saw some of the clips emerging from that. So the Vikings felt like they should have won that game. They felt like they were in it. They're confident still that they can beat teams like Cincinnati and even Detroit on Sunday when they come to U.S. Bank Stadium. But chances are they're not winning the division, even if they beat Detroit on Sunday. They need to win out. Um, I think that's all they need to do is win out because if if 
Well, no, they would need Detroit to lose out too. Yes. I'm sorry. So they, yes. they, they need a lot to happen. So yeah, yeah. It, they're not going to win the division. Detroit is on top right now and they got to answer questions starting Sunday for just how far behind are they? We'll give you a week off next week when I take a little break, but we'll maybe we'll have two weeks of film to review uh, with the, uh, the Detroit game and the Green Bay game once we resume this segment in 2024. Andrew, appreciate it as always. Uh, happy holidays. We'll talk to you soon. You too, Mike. Thanks. Good stuff from Andrew. Like we said, that uh, that Packers game in a couple of weeks. So these Lions games are big too. They still have an outside chance of winning the division, but that Packers game is going to have a real big influence on whether the Vikings make the playoffs. Right now, New York Times upshot has them at 53% likely to make the playoffs based on all these other teams, likelihood of Vikings winning these next few games, things like that. You change, uh, you change, you give the Vikings a win over the Packers, that number goes to 77%. You give them a loss to the Packers, that number drops to 29%. So it's a pretty big swing. It's a swing of like, you know, 25, 30 percentage points in either direction. Vikings still could possibly make the playoffs at eight and nine, although that gets less likely with more teams at seven and seven right now. Um, you know, win two, they're still in great shape. You win twice uh, in these next few, you got a 99% chance to win if you beat the Packers and the Lions once. So still a pretty good spot for the Vikings to be in, especially with two home games, but a lot of meaningful football yet to be played. And it will be Nick Mullins, it sounds like, starting at least this next one for the Vikings. It's poetry time on Daily Delivery. Um, we've had a little bit extra time to digest this game. Uh, Keith, since it was Saturday, it's a few days out now. Um, but I understand you have four Vaiku to properly put into perspective the 27-24 loss to the Bengals. Is that correct? Is poetry is the only way to put that game in perspective. Okay, well, let's hear the first one. Let's get right to it. All right. A lone tortured soul, languishing on an island, dealing with game cast. <laughs> so... So explain to me what that means to you. It means my son had hockey practice in the middle of the afternoon, right? Gotcha. So I got to watch about a quarter and a half before we had to go to hockey practice. Got it. So we went to hockey practice and then I'm on hockey practice and I'm sitting there and there's, there's people around or whatever and I don't care about any of them, right? Of course not, no. Uh, uh, but my only means of access at that time was to check GameCast, which is the worst way to follow a sporting event. It's, it, you know, you get information that's fine, that's good, but it's the worst way because, you know, you got this going on. And so then I'd put it away for just a couple minutes and you got that going on. And then I check it every now and then. And there'd be like these dramatic swings that would happen. Right. And all of a sudden they were up by 14 points. And all of a sudden they were down by seven points. And all of a sudden there's like craziness, right? And I look at it at one point in time and I see uh, interception. Right. Run back for a touchdown. Right. Oh, but holding penalty, you know, right. interference, yeah. whatever it was. It's like, oh, negated Offsides, by penalty. Think, yeah. It's just yeah. like, oh, it's just. And so every time. And then the other part is if you even if you have a little stretch of time to actually watch the game cast, that's yeah. torture, too, because you're just staring at your phone for minutes. Yeah. You're, you're like, update, say, update. Please change. Yeah. Please just change. Right. Give me new information right. right now. And heaven forbid there's a TV timeout because right. you're staring at your you phone don't know. for yeah, four you don't know. minutes yeah. with nothing going on. It's just the worst way to watch a game. And so then there's the back and forth. And then the last time I checked it, right, uh, <laughs> there was the whole fourth down fiasco. Yeah. 
And then there was the 44 yard pass. And that's when I just put the phone yeah, away. That's probably for the best. I mean, it's, I don't know if it's better or worse that you didn't have to watch all of it. Like, as you know, as it unfolded, you were just kind of following along and getting that information. But I know what you mean about sometimes it's more stressful to follow a game that way than it is to actually watch it. It's a terrible way to do it. It's a terrible way because you don't actually get to see any of what's going. You're going through the same highs and lows and going yeah. back and forth with a crazy game like that without any context whatsoever yeah. or any knowledge of how this came to be. All of a sudden, you see some brief little description about the last play and and the changes, and you just there's it's a terrible, terrible way to follow a game. And I wasn't normally normally I just wait until they're done, right, right. and watch them Saturday, afterwards. But this is a Saturday game, so you could follow it live. Well, and not only that, but I could watch you know part of it. And the right. fact that I did watch part of it meant that I wasn't going to stop yeah. and yeah. then just watch the rest later. Yep. That so I sense. followed it on stupid Gamecast. Like who too? He was the safe choice. But just what's so safe about throwing red zone picks? Yeah, Nick Nick Mullins proves that pretty much anybody on the Vikings roster can be careless with the ball. Any quarterback can do it. Kirk oh, Cousins yeah. can do it. Josh Dobbs can do it. I guess Jaron Hall didn't really get a chance to do it because he got knocked out too early. But he should get start. his chance. Yeah. He absolutely. We talked about this we last did. week. We he did. should get his chance. What, you know, fine. Nick Mullins put together a decent statistical game. Yeah, he was fine. If you look at just the numbers, but he threw two red zone picks, right? Through two bad passes, two really bad passes when they needed him the most to, to step up. To be, or, and, to be, or to just be safe and take three points in those cases. Like that was a time to be safe. Right. And so he's not doing it, right? No. He's turning the ball over essentially as much as Josh Dobbs, right? All you're getting is a little bit more terms of in terms of completion percentage. And so we talked about it last week. There's no hope. There is no hope with Nick Mullins. No. And you're going to get the same mistakes. So you may as well go with Jaron Hall because you at least can have some hope, right? Like, he is unlikely to blossom into Tom Brady as a fifth round pick and, and explode onto the scene. But at least you can say in those, in those circumstances, the mistakes are part of a learning process that he has the potential to get better. That's not happening with Nick Mullins. And I just don't want to see it anymore. No, I I'm with you. I, that's why I wanted Dobbs over Mullins and then Dobbs was so bad that they had no choice but to go away from him. And I don't think Mullins didn't play poorly enough that he's going to lose his job this time, but I, it wouldn't be shocking if they had to do something else at quarterback at some point over these last three games, right? Like this, this feel we've seen. So, you know, this is a throwback to Vikings teams of the eighties. And then a few of those teams in the late two thousands before they got far of like those weeks where it was like any given week, a different guy could start. You just never know. Uh, the, the halcyon days of Gus Farad are gone. Or Gus Farad or Sean Salisbury and Wade Wilson and Tommy Kramer and you just never knew who was going to be the guy that from week to week. Well, Tommy Kramer had his run. He was he was the first quarterback I remember as the Vikings quarterback. And I, I did love him for a while there. But yeah, then there's there was a whole stretch of just uh, back and guys. forth between Wade Wilson and Tommy Kramer, like for three or four seasons. It was it was amazing. Yeah. Until Sean Salisbury entered the mix, and yes. boy, that really that made everything. really spiced it up. All right, well, what's your third? What's your third one? All right, it worked for a Raj. 
Have some ayahuasca, Kirk. Achilles be damned. You saying come back? You saying come back for this year? Look, all I'm saying is that all I'm saying is that Aaron Rodgers apparently has the the key to medical miracles. And he was prepared to come back if his team was still in it. He was cleared to play. All I'm saying is maybe Kirk just isn't doing everything he could be doing to get back on the field. It's a fair take, although I will say... Absolutely fair. Absolutely fair. Nothing but, but, but fair nothing with but that fair. take. But, but Kirk did hurt his ankle or his Achilles in week eight. Well, Rogers is week one. So he'd already be, even on an accelerated timeline, he'd be seven weeks behind Rodgers like maybe 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 he could get back in time for the Super Bowl so I get your point maybe he could get back in time for the Super Bowl does he want it enough I don't know does he want is is he enough of a leader is he enough leader of men to get out there and do what he needs to do to heal this Achilles in time I think it's a fair question all right what's your fourth one that was good we learn all our lives each day a new chance to grow get on it Kevin yeah I, I would like that. I'd like to I'd like Kevin O'Connell to listen to some advice from PJ Fleck and change his best. Change your best, Kevin. Change your best. Or if, from um from Ricky Rubio and change his face. Change this face. Change this face. <laughs> Be happy. You know. Uh, so Alexi, it, it, change this it, face. It, it, so it, it, look, everybody should have the opportunity to to learn on the job a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. And here's a guy who, as if you can correct me if I'm wrong, but hasn't even ever called plays in the NFL before, let alone he wasn't right. a head coach, right? First right. Time. He was McVay was calling the plays in, in with the Rams. Yes, I believe that's correct. So there's there's he should be allowed the opportunity for some growth and to figure a few things out, and not every mistake should be considered a fireable offense or any of that, right? He's should have the opportunity to learn, but there have been some baffling decisions and things that just don't make a lot of sense. And, you know, if if you've got backups at 60% of your offensive line and a backup quarterback, and you're spreading everybody out so that you don't have as many people pushing that line of scrimmage as you possibly can, you know, that is perhaps a example of overthinking the situation, right? And to not only do it once, but then to do it twice for heaven's sakes, right? To play into your weakness in that moment, because you're going to catch them by surprise or whatever. You're not going to catch them by surprise. If you're the Cincinnati Bengals, if you're in that situation and you know that they don't, the Vikings only need a foot, right? You don't care about anybody on the outside, right? Especially at that point in overtime, the, the only way that they're going to – where they're going to most likely put all their resources is in that that sort of tush-push, as it were, yeah. right? And so you just line everybody up there, right, and take your chances with whatever else is going on. And so it, it's just like the it, it feels like the thought process was once again a little too cute. Yeah, a little I too agree. 100%. Trying to figure all this, and and so on the balance, he's still a very he's a better coach than than he has more strengths and weaknesses. I yes, guess is hundred percent. I agree. The way to put it, uh, but he also seems to need some time to to you know needs the space to to learn a few of these things 
as well, too. And it's a tough set of circumstances, a lot of backups, a lot of injuries, a lot of blah, blah, blah. But that's not the time then to to pretend you're a mad genius who's going to fix it merely through your brilliance. Well, and I referenced Fleck once already, but like he's kind of like Fleck in that for six he's days, he's a lot a, like Fleck. For the six for six days a week, he's a, a, a above average at least coach, and on game days, he's average. He's he's not showing me enough on game days to say, "Wow, that guy's a genius a, at calling plays." He's he's just not. He's he's okay at it. He's okay yeah. at it. That might be a generous assessment at times, right? Because yeah, it, I agree. It, you know, average uh, there. There are just things that don't seem to to add up in in a in the way that you'd like to in the way that you'd like to see it is maybe the the simplest way to put it. Well, they they seem sometimes to be too concerned with getting that little extra edge instead of playing to their strength and just saying, okay, here's what I think we do best. Let's go try it, and if it doesn't work, that doesn't work. That your your best play is certainly not one of your smallest offensive players pushing a small and mobile quarterback behind a small center. That is not your best play. Correct. Absolutely correct. Absolutely none of that adds up to success. No. Unless you believe you're so clever that you're going to catch him right in this one moment. Right. And yes, I'm sorry, not even the art of poetry can will uh, Jaron Hall into action. I think we, we learned on, uh, on Monday that Nick Mullins will retain the job. Not a surprise. He played well enough in that game, despite those two turnovers, he moved the ball. They scored 24 points against Cincinnati. He played reasonably well, but I want him to clean things up. He's got to make better decisions. He is a veteran. He's got to make better decisions, especially in the red zone. Hey, take a sec. You're in there. You're the safety valve. You're you're the you're the safe option. Don't be a hero. Uh, be the guy that helps them. Helps the Vikings kind of maintain. Help them be the team that can rely on defense and and maybe an emerging running game. So don't try to be a hero, Nick Mullins. Try to be who you are. Let us finish with the cooler weirdness in the wild game on on Monday. Marc-Andre Fleury goes back to Pittsburgh. It's probably going to be his final game in Pittsburgh, right? It's a good chance the wild goalie retires at the end of this season. The wild has back-to-back games, right? They're playing Pittsburgh on Monday. They play Boston tonight perfect opportunity i know philip gustafson has been rolling perfect opportunity right you play flurry against pittsburgh it's the the lesser of the opponents it's a it's a place that he's got a lot of history you play flurry there you play gustafson against the bruins a much better team you try to win at least one of those games but give yourself a chance and give yourself your best chance play your a squad play your best goalie against the best team instead the wild start gustafson against the Penguins, it's awkward. Everybody acknowledges that it's a little bit awkward. Now, you know, the Wild are in the business of winning games, not sentimentality, this and that. I get that. So you don't have to cater to Marc-Andre Fleury and say, hey, let's give let's give him this game because he has so much history. He won he won these cups with Pittsburgh, things like that. But players notice these kinds of things, right? They, they notice when there's not that kind of attention paid to the human side of things. I'm sure Marc-Andre Fleury would have loved to play in that game. Pittsburgh fans were clamoring for him to get into the game, especially after Gustafson gives up three goals, wild fall behind 3 nothing. It ends up backfiring on the wild. Anyway, whatever the decision was, they lose 4-3. to three. They did rally to tie it, but they lose 
four to three. Now you've got Flurry going against Boston tonight. Not like Flurry can't have a good game. Not like the Wild can't win this game. Not like Gustafson is that much better than Flurry this year. But Gustafson clearly the number one. Wouldn't you play Gustafson against the Bruins? Wouldn't you play Flurry against the Penguins just as a matter of you know practicality, taking sentimentality out of the equation? I don't know. Maybe maybe you try to win the Pittsburgh game with with your best goalie, and you're kind of giving up the Boston game. I don't know. Whatever it was. John Hines, the coach, said they had a plan in place. That was the way they decided to do it. Awkward all around. Didn't work. Now we'll see if Flurry um, can flourish tonight against Boston. Getting a game at least. He, he took the high road, said, hey, you know, maybe a little bit disappointing, but, you know, he gets to play tonight, things like that. And the bigger thing for the Wild will be stay out of the penalty box and get back on the right track. They're still 7-3 and three since the coaching change, but a little bit of slippage lately and a big one tonight at that. That will do it for me today. Uh, Jeff Day, we're going to talk some gopher volleyball on Wednesday's show. La, big news in the transfer portal. Taylor Landfair leaving the Gophers. They already lost a couple key players last year. Um, Jeff and I will talk about that and just the college transfer portal in general, how it is impacting a lot of sports, including volleyball. So we'll go deep on that, talk probably about his recent conversation with head coach Keegan Cook. That will be coming up on tomorrow's show. Until then, I am Michael Rand. Have a great rest of your Tuesday. We'll see you tomorrow.